Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. Let's get right into it. We're going to be in Ephesians 3. Looking at verse 14 to the end of the chapter. If you're using the Bible that's uh, under the seat, it's page uh, 918. Just to give you some quick context about this passage, um, this is Paul writing his epistle to the church at Ephesus. And um, this passage right here is right in the middle of the book, and it's a prayer that Paul gives. And the first three chapters of the book. He gives this really deep, robust theology on what it means to be in Christ, what salvation is all about, what the gospel is. And then the last three chapters of the book, he's going to give some practical like instruction on how to live based on that. But right here in the middle of that, Paul prays this prayer for the Ephesians. And let's read it together. This is Ephesians 3, verse 14. It says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The big idea that this passage is all about is that we should pray to experience God in our life. How many of us know someone who knows a lot of knowledge and opinions about a certain topic, but they have no experience with it? How many of us can think of someone? I'm I'm thinking of the guy this afternoon that's going to be watching the football game that's sitting there yelling at what the quarterback should have done. Yet he's never picked up a ball in his life. He doesn't never played pro football. He didn't go to practice. He didn't memorize the plays. But he's telling them what they should do. He has no experience with it. Or maybe you have that single friend that wants to give you all the relationship advice. You know, they want to tell you how it's done, but they really have little to no experience on it themselves. My personal favorite is the people who have no kids and that have all the answers on parenting. And uh, I say that because I used to be that person. God's blessed me and my family. We have three beautiful kids. We got one on the way. There's Bella, Gabriel, and Samuel. And they're, they're great. They're a blessing. But I used to know all about parenting before them, and now I don't. See, I would, I would go to a restaurant before I had kids, and I would see the parents there sitting there trying to eat and have a conversation, and their kids there watching Coco Melon or whatever show, PBS, whatever, and, and I would judge and think, man, I'm never going to do that as a parent one day. That's, so, that's terrible parenting. Why would you do that? Or I would go to Walmart, and I would see the parent with their kid in the toy aisle who's throwing a tantrum, and I would judge them and think, just get your kid together. Here's what you got to do. 
you know, to, to control them. And if you would have saw me a couple weeks ago with my kids at Walmart Christmas shopping, I would have looked very hypocritical. And I, I would know, before I had kids, I had all the answers and opinions about parenting, but I have no experience with it. I had no knowledge about something that, frankly, I'd never done before, right? And today, I believe that there's a lot of Christians who have a lot of knowledge and opinions about God, but they haven't really experienced them for themselves. And what Paul is doing here, he's praying for these believers that they wouldn't just hear what he's saying about God and know about him, but they would personally experience him and his power in their own lives. See, simply knowing more about God and doing more for God is not enough for our spiritual lives. We, what we need is something more. What we need is to experience him for ourselves. Now today is New Year's Eve. We're, about, we're ending the year. We're about to go into 2024. And for many people, the new year is a time to restart. It's a time, to, it's a, it's a time for change. Like maybe this last year didn't go very well. Maybe there's stuff that you're not proud of. And, and you're looking forward to the new year. It's saying, okay, I'm going to try and do this better. I'm going to... I'm going to read more books. I'm going to be more disciplined in these areas. And in your spiritual life, maybe you want to, to grow more. And I think sometimes we have the tendency to think of all these things we've got to do and all this, these books we've got to read and all this knowledge we want to get. But what we don't focus on is just God himself and experience him for ourselves. And what Paul is doing here is praying for that. And before you go and, and make your, your resolutions and goals and disciplines you want to do, those are all good things. What I want to just challenge you today with is to do what Paul is doing here, and that's pray for an experience of God yourself. I'm not talking about some mystical moment you have with God. I'm not talking about something like that. What I'm just talking about is you personally, for yourself, encountering God in your life in a tangible way. Don't start this year off with a resolve to learn and do more for God, let's start this year off with a request to experience more of God ourselves. So, how do we do that? Paul here, he gives four different things of, that we can pray for to experience God. And um, let, let's look at those. To experience God in my life, I will pray for, number one, a Holy Spirit empower, empowerment. Look at uh, verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So this is Paul saying, hey, I'm praying this for you guys. Verse 15, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Everyone in here, we all have what Paul calls our inner being. That's who we are on the inside, right? Our heart, our soul, and our mind and spiritually, our inner being is fragile. We, we can't, we are helpless in ourselves. And what Paul is praying for these believers is that they could experience God through the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Look at verse 15, 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory. So that's him saying this is God giving from himself. This is something that he doesn't lack in supply of to give us of his spirit. He may grant you. And that's something that the Holy Spirit is something that's given. It's not earned. Sometimes we, have a, we may think in our mind, like, I just got to do this for God to help me. Whereas there's no formula to being spirit-empowered. All we got to do is ask. He's saying it, he may grant you 
to be strengthened with power in your inner being. This is an inside-out change. It's something that we need day by day and moment by moment. How many of you, the first thing you did this morning was you stumbled, you got out of bed, and you stumbled over to the coffee maker, and you turned it on, and you're just sitting there waiting for it to... To, to make your coffee because you can't function without coffee. I, I'm, that, I'm, I'm that person. I probably drink way too much coffee. And there's days where I literally, my brain is in a fog and I can't really think or do anything because I don't have my coffee. And, and I know there's some coffee drinkers in here, but we get, we get that and we need our coffee because we're not able to function or dare I say exist without it. And <clears throat> some of, sometimes I'll... Um, I'll go to work, and I haven't drank my coffee yet, and I'm just sitting there at my desk, like, just staring at the computer screen, waiting for something to happen, and I, because I just can't, in my, in myself, make myself be ready to work, right? I need my coffee to get, get me going, and I can't function without it, and um, for some of us, we're not all the way there without our coffee, but even more important is we can't function without the Holy Spirit's empowerment in our lives. We literally can't do anything in our own spiritual life without that. We are helpless spiritually. And what uh, Paul is trying to highlight is like for, to experience God in our life, we should pray that the Holy Spirit would come in and empower us to do what we cannot do. In, the, in a couple of chapters later, in chapter 5, verse 18, if you want to look over to the other side of the page, he says... Chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What he's doing is contrasting someone who's drunk and controlled with alcohol versus someone who's controlled by the Holy Spirit. When, when you're drunk and when you, when you are controlled by the substance of alcohol, you're going to act and do things that you don't normally do, you know? And Paul's using that way contrast of that for the Holy Spirit saying, when you're Holy Spirit filled and empowered, you're going to be able to do what you don't normally do, what you can't do in your inner being. And we must be spirit filled and controlled so that we too can act and behave in a way that we don't normally do. Our normal response to when, when we want to respond in a bad way to our spouse and our marriage is, oh, I want to just say this mean thing back to them. Our, that's our normal response, and it's hard to respond in a Christ-like and loving way. What we need is the Holy Spirit to empower us to respond in the way that we don't normally do. When our kids are going crazy and we want to just yell at them and tell them to be quiet, what I need, what you need in that moment is for the Holy Spirit to empower you to act in a way that you don't normally do. When the school load is piling up and the stress and anxiety is getting to you and you can't deal with it, when the, just the burdens of life and trials of life are getting to you, what we need is the Holy Spirit to come and empower us to act and live in a way that we don't normally do. And all we have to do is ask. Just pray, God, give me your Holy Spirit. I need your help today. In Luke 11, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We just have to ask. Jesus is ready to help us and empower us. And this is how we experience God in our life. Pray every day this new year that you could be empowered by his Holy Spirit to live and act in a way that he, that he would be pleased with. Uh, number two, to experience God in my life, I will pray for a Christ-centered heart. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love 
our hearts can be focused in dwelling on many different things, and, but the way we can see and experience God is through a heart that is centered on Christ. Paul prays that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit so then that we can have a heart that's centered in dwelling on Christ. He says that your heart, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell has the idea of a permanent residence. It's your home. It's what you settle in. When you go to stay at an Airbnb or hotel, you're not packing up the U-Haul and driving over there to stay there, right? You got a couple bags. You got your... Your, your little suitcase, and you're just staying there temporarily. It's not something you live permanently at. It's not something you stay permanently at. It's a temporary place. And our heart is not meant to be an Airbnb for Christ. It's not something where Christ is supposed to settle in one day and the world comes and settles in the next day. It's supposed to be a permanent dwelling place for Christ. He is our center. And Paul gives two metaphors that come out of this. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love that word rooted is, is a picture of like the roots on a tree or a plant. They go down into the ground and they bring water and nutrients from the soil back to give it growth, to give it life. And then he says that you being rooted and grounded, grounded is a picture of a foundation for a house or a building. It's what, it's what keeps it stable. If this, this building here, if your house did not have a, a foundation and the wind comes, when the soil sinks in, your house is just going to fall over. And Paul is saying for us to dwell on, to have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith, it's what keeps us rooted, it's what keeps us grounded, what brings us growth, what brings us stability. And he's praying that they would experience that God in this way, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. And the key here is where he says, through faith. You see, the way we get saved and start our relationship with Christ is the way we go day to day with our relationship with Christ, through faith. Now, I want to address something really quick. Um, sometimes we have this cliche that we throw around at church, and it's this. Accept Jesus into your heart. How many of us have heard that before? Accept, accept Jesus into your heart. And there's nothing, and that's, that's used in a lot of places to describe salvation. There's nothing necessarily wrong or misguided about that, but it's a little unbiblical. And here's why. When, when Jesus comes into our heart, or when, when we get saved, salvation is not accepting Jesus into our heart. It's a repentance from sin and faith in Christ. And the difference here that I'm talking about is the difference between him entering our lives at salvation versus him, us inviting him in to dwell in our everyday life. And this phrase comes from Revelation 3.20. That's probably where people got it from, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is saying this at the end of a rebuke of seven churches in the book of Revelation, the, book, the church of Ephesus being one of them. And what he's telling them is not, hey, invite me in to your life for salvation. He's saying, let me back in. I want to come in. He's wanting to come into these churches and dwell with them. He didn't want to just enter. He wanted to come in and dwell and stay and be the central part of that church. And for our life, we can think of salvation as Jesus dwelling in our hearts. Like you may be sitting here thinking, well, Jesus is already with me. He's with me wherever I go. Yes. But what I'm talking about is Christ is not just the way in, but the way through. It's said here from the pulpit all the time, and that's because our lives need to be Christ-centered. That he is, the, he is not just 
just some ticket to get us to heaven one day. He's not just something nice and, and, and comforting to think about. He is literally what we need to every day and what our lives need to be centered and founded on. Jesus is the source of our growth. He is what anchors and brings stability to our Christian walk. And we should be praying all the, throughout this year, God, help me to be centered on you. Help, help Christ to be everything to me and, all, and part of my life. Number three, to experience God in my life, I will pray for a deeper understanding of God's love. Look at the last part. We'll take the last part of verse 17 where he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses Knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Sometimes our view and understanding of God's love can be really shallow. And we should pray and desire that God would help us to go deeper. Paul prays three means of a deeper understanding. He says, he prays for a deeper understanding through a multi-dimensional view of his love. In verse 18, he says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. He's giving these dimensional terms. He's saying that they wouldn't that they would be able to grasp the all sides and views of God's love. Um, I'm I would venture to guess that almost everyone in here has seen a picture of the Grand Canyon. You know, you we live in the state of Arizona, so if you've not seen the picture of the Grand Canyon, you probably have lived under a rock. It's literally on signs everywhere, on license or not on license plates, but it's it's everywhere. And the picture of, a picture of a Grand Canyon is really beautiful, right? It, it shows the colors. It shows the, 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 the cliffs of the canyon. But it's just a two-dimensional view. You just see a limited field of view. You can't see the whole thing. And there's a difference between just seeing a picture of the Grand Canyon and actually going there yourself and walking up to the South Rim and seeing it in person. It adds dimensions to it. It adds depths. It adds perception. You can see how wide it is. You can see how deep it is down into the canyon. You can see how far it goes. And there's a difference between the, like a two-dimensional view and a three-dimensional view. And sometimes we, on, we can only see, we will only see God through a two-dimensional view. Sometimes we can only see him through this black and white words on, a, on the pages of the Bible. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what Paul is praying is that they would see multidimensional views of his love, that they would see all sides of it, that they wouldn't just see this picture of it, but that they, they could walk up to it and see the width of it, the depth of it, see how great God's love really is. So he prays that they would understand it through a multidimensional view. And then he also prays that they would understand it through a personal encounter with his love. Uh, look back at verse eight, uh, 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is a paradox. He's saying, he's praying that they would know the love of Christ that you can't really know. It's contradictory. And this is kind of similar to what Paul says in Philippians where he says, he talks about the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's something that you experience in an intimate knowledge of Christ that cannot really be explained or described. And that's what Paul is praying for them here, that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, when I was 10, I actually got to go to the Grand Canyon for the first time. Me, a friend of mine, and, and his parents, they invited me to go hike with them to the Grand Canyon. And we, we went there, and I didn't just see it on a picture. 
and I didn't just go and walk up to the south rim and see it in person. I actually got to experience it and go down into it myself. Um, and it's way different than just seeing it from a picture. You get a you get a walk down the trail. We went down Bright Angel Trail. You get to see the the cliff sides. You get to see the pine trees and smell smell the the smells there. You get to the squirrels are like everywhere. I don't know why they're like looking for snacks from everyone. They almost follow you around, and um, the, you can feel the wind coming up from the canyon. And I personally went there and encountered it for myself. I. It wasn't just a picture to me anymore. It, was just, it wasn't just seeing it from the top of the rim. I went deeper down into the canyon and experienced it for myself. And to deeper understand God's love, what we need is not simply more facts and knowledge and what we read on the pages of the Bible, but a personal, we, what we need is a personal experience and encounter with God. Don't just read what others have to say about God in a book Actually, learn it for yourself. When was the last time you have read the scriptures and you saw God? You saw who he really was. You saw how Jesus really is. And you experienced it and you understood it for yourself. And it led you to worship him more. This is the difference between just seeing God on the pages of scripture versus seeing him in your own life. And Paul is praying that they wouldn't just... Have, they wouldn't just know these facts about God, but that they could see his love from all sides, that they would have this personal experience and know this knowledge, this, this knowledge that passes understanding you can't really describe. And then he also prays that they would have a deeper understanding through satisfaction found in God. At the end of verse 19, he says, to note that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is kind of the point that the whole prayer gets to. He prays that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, that their hearts would dwell on Christ, that they would be able to comprehend these dimensions of his love, and they would know this, this love that surpasses knowledge, that they could be filled with the fullness of God. This is the, the, where he's trying to get to. And this is the point of the prayer. This is the point of the gospel, that God is enough to fill the desires and longings of our heart and soul. And do you have that? My, uh, my kids, whenever, whenever I get home from work, usually Bella will come and she'll open the door for me. And she'll say, like, hi, Dada, and something silly. But usually the first thing after she says that, almost every time she asks, I'm hungry and I want a snack. Like, she hadn't been asking her mom all day. She was waiting for me to get home. And um, my kids snack a lot. Like, I, they, they eat fruit snacks, granola bars, goldfish, crackers, like... They're eating all these snacks all day that by the time we get to dinner time and it doesn't matter what we make. It could be their favorite thing like pizza or chicken nuggets. They just won't eat it because they've been eating fruit snacks all day. They've been having cheeses. They've been having goldfish. And sometimes I even joke with my wife like I'm just going to make dinner, put it on their plate and just throw it right in the trash. Like let's cut out the middleman here. Because they're too full, they're too filled with all the fullness of snacks that uh, they they don't want what I gave them for dinner, and sometimes we don't experience that fullness and satisfaction in God because we're too full of the things this world has to offer. You know, we we look to we fill the void in our hearts with relationships, with music, movies, hobbies, careers. That God, there's no room at the end of the day for an appetite for God, 
And what Paul is praying is that they would experience God, that they could find that satisfaction in God, that they would have an appetite for it, that they would find the satisfaction that he can give. And can I speak to the people in the room that maybe you're on the fence about this whole Christianity thing and, and Jesus thing? God created you and me not to be satisfied with what our sin and what this world has to offer. See, Jesus says in Luke, I came so that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. He gives life where joy, he gives life and joy where it's not found in our circumstances of life, where it's not found in what we have, where it's not found in, in the sin that we find joy in. He gives lasting joy and satisfaction. He gives, Paul says, the, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. He's saying there's nothing left that you need there. It's all in God. And can I tell you, I've grown up in church my whole life. My grandpa's a pastor. My dad's a pastor. I talk about someone who knew a lot about God, who knew a lot of facts about God, but didn't really experience him. I, would, I was literally in church like three times a week hearing either my grandpa or my, or my dad talk about stuff from the Bible. And I, I knew a lot of stuff about God. I could, I could answer all the trivia questions. But it wasn't until I was a senior in high school that I really saw Jesus and saw God for who he was. That I really saw that salvation wasn't just this ticket to heaven. That Jesus wasn't just this person I read about in the Bible and then I got to go and live my good life for him. That Jesus is everything. And, and uh, the verse that really changed that for me is in John 17, 3. Jesus says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only God and Father. Jesus is saying that salvation isn't just about going to heaven, that salvation is all about the relationship that you can have with the Lord. And that I hope that if you don't know what that's all about, that you wouldn't just read about Jesus as some good guy on the pages of the Bible, but that you could see for yourself and, and understand what that really is. And for the believers in here, Let's not do what Jeremiah 2 talks about, where we build our own wells that, that can't hold water. They, they leak water. We try and find satisfaction in other things besides God. There's a reason why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He's not, he was using those, those terms of physical things like bread and water that, that satisfy our hunger to say, I am in an eternal satisfaction. Let's not find that satisfaction anywhere other than God. God is enough. Jesus is enough, and we should not be satisfied with the shallow view and understanding that we have of God, but for this new year, we should be praying, God, let me experience and know more of your love. Let me, let me understand what it means. Let me find satisfaction in you, God. I want, I, we can even pray to God, I want to find satisfaction in other things, God, but make, make that the prayer of your heart that you could only be satisfied in Christ. So Paul prays that we would find, that we would, have a Holy Spirit empowerment, that our hearts would be centered on Christ, that we would have a deeper understanding of his love. And then lastly, to experience God in my life, I should pray for a magnification of God's glory. Verse 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the whole purpose and point of this prayer. This is the purpose of our life, and that is to glorify God. Paul gives this doxology at the end of this 
this prayer, and he's saying that they wouldn't just experience God to experience God, but that ultimately God would be glorified from that. And this is something that we don't talk about or pray about enough. And you cannot pray about this enough in the new year, that God would be glorified in our life. Verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, this is why we can glorify God. His greatness and his power go beyond what we can even comprehend. And this is a call that's echoed throughout all of Scripture. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Psalm 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. In Romans 11 verse 33 it says, O the depth and of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. First Timothy 1.17 says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. And in Revelation 4, it says, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then in the next chapter it says, Then I looked and heard the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And I had to cut out a lot of the verses that I wanted to read. This is not about you and me. This is about him. Everything that you want to do in the new year, we should not just be thinking about, I want to read more books. I want to be more disciplined in these areas. I want to lose weight. I want to eat better. Those are all good things. But the first thing in our mind should be, how can I glorify God more in this new year? That we would be like Moses on Mount Sinai saying to God, please show me your glory. And that we, that we should pray to experience a magnification of God's glory. In 1943... A psychologist named Abraham Maslow wrote a paper called The Theory of Human Motivation. And he wrote this for a a journal of Psychologist Review. And in this paper, um, the secular psychologist, he theorized a hierarchy of things that every human need in their life. And this theory became popular and it's widely used even today among a lot of organizations and, it, and they kind of took it and created it into this pyramid to, to describe, you know, levels of human needs. Um, at the base of the pyramid, you have, like, basic needs, like physio, physical needs that we have for food, water, shelter, air, heat, those kind of things. And then above that, you have um, stuff like safety, health, personal, emotional, financial security, 
And then kind of in the middle, you have what, the, what they put as psychological needs. So that's the needs for love, for belonging, for friendship, for relationships, self-esteem. And at the top of what Maslow create, created in this hierarchy of needs, he put the top need for all human beings is self-actualization. That what a man can be, he must be. That we should, the greatest thing we need is to achieve our full potential. Uh, the need to utilize and develop one's talents, abilities, pursuing goals, self-actualization to be what you really are supposed to be. Well, almost 50 years later, like this, this was used for, for many years and widely accepted. And 50 years later, Maslow, he came back and he revised this and this, this hierarchy of needs to put something above self-actualization. Over 50 years later in 1996, he came back after years of dealing and interacting with this theory and added something that he deemed as greater than the need of self-actualization, and that is the need for transcendence. No longer was self-actualization the greatest need for humans, but it was transcendence, the need that one finds the fullest realization in giving oneself to something beyond oneself. Now, this is a secular psychologist who came to this conclusion, but that's, that's what Paul is saying here. That's all throughout the Bible. The greatest thing we need in life is something that is beyond us and, and something and someone that is beyond us and better than us who is transcendent, and that is God himself. We were created to give God glory, and that should be our ultimate desire going into this new year, that we are not created to live and breathe and better ourselves for the new year to, to point to and, and, and look good for ourselves, but that we are to give God glory, and we should be praying that God's glory would be magnified in our lives this coming year. So the big idea, we shouldn't pray to experience God in our life. Knowing God is not enough. Knowing and doing more things for God is not enough for our spiritual life. What we need is to personally see him and experience him in our own life. And the greatest thing you need this year is not those New Year's goals. Those are all good things, not more disciplines. The greatest thing you need this year is to encounter God in your own life. The greatest thing your marriage needs this year is not more date nights, better communication, and, and speaking the love language is better. The greatest thing your marriage needs is to see God's love and power there in your marriage. The greatest thing your kids needs is not getting straight A's. It's not being the best person on the sports team. It's not even learning how to act and behave in the right way. The greatest thing your kids need is to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I pray that would be our prayer for this new year. So we don't want to just learn to learn. We want to learn to live. So number one, have you found satisfaction in God's love? Has there ever been a moment where you, you by faith, placed that faith in Christ and, and turned away from your sin? Have you ever found that and experienced that for yourself? Has he entered your life first in faith? And number two, I don't want to give you a question. I want to just tell you, pray this prayer over the new year. Pray this prayer that Paul gives. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be in your life, to empower you. Pray that, that your, your life would be centered on Christ. Pray that, that you would have a deeper understanding of his love. Pray that God would be glorified. And to close today, I just want to pray this prayer over us in the church. And I think it will be up on the screen. And you can pray this yourself while I pray. And we'll just pray this and take this into the new year and pray it over the new year, throughout the new year, that we would experience God. Let's pray. 
Lord, we pray that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love would have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.